musical stylings of noted American slacker Steve Malkinus and his jicks herald this week's edition of Fantasy Friday on Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition, this Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, is Rotographs contributor Howard Bender in what follows. And when he's not being harassed by call waiting, Bender and I discuss relief pitching. And in this case, not just who occupies the closer role, on this or that major league team, but also what points of the season are more susceptible to relief pitcher turnover and which other points are prone to less turnover. It's not necessarily something that had occurred to me previous to the conversation and is therefore of at least some little interest. Moving on and following up on a piece by our managing editor Dave Cameron, I asked Bender about the fantasy futures, both near and longer term, of Trevor Bauer, right-handed pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and Padres right-hander Andrew Kashner, both of whom made starts on Thursday night, but only one of which was universally celebrated. I asked Bender about some other prospects in Texas left-hander Martin Perez and Chicago Cubs first baseman Anthony Rizzo. We also considered the recent return of shortstop Stephen Drew back to the Arizona Diamondbacks, what he's worth at the moment, and what he might be worth in the second half of the season. It's Rotographs contributor Howard Bender on this Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, and it begins right now. So you actually, you actually did a piece, maybe it looks like just for today, called Trading for Saves. Right, exactly. What's cool? How do people trade for saves? Well, no, I'm talking about the, uh, the the trade market and what you do when you don't have, you know, because basically what's happened right now is as far as the uh, the, the closers have gone, it's it's sort of stabilized a little bit. I mean, for the first two and a half months, it was completely chaotic, and you know, every other week somebody was losing their job, and it was trading hands and stuff like you know. Uh, stuff like that as far as the jobs go. So people were able to get a number of closers off the waiver wire. But, you know, what I'm writing about here in this piece is just the fact that it's sort of stabilized right now. There are a couple of tenuous situations still. But what do you do if you, uh, if you can't play the waiver wire? You can't pick up saves. And, you know, what's the price that you're really willing to pay in order to move up in that category? And if it's even, you know, if it's even worth that. Because you're you're basically you're being price gouged right now by anybody that's that's glommed enough closers in the uh, in the last few you know month and a half. Now, uh, so far as that's concerned, you mentioned that there's sort of a seasonal aspect to it. Over the first two two and a half months, um, there was a lot of turnover, and that there uh, there there appears to be more stability now. From your experience, and I don't know if there's been a study conducted um, to this effect or not, but from your experience. Is this a, is that a sort of normal progression that there's a great deal of turnover at the beginning of the season, but then maybe uh, there's, uh, there's some stability come June heading into July? Well, for the most part, I think I, you know. In, in all honesty, I I feel like, and, and again, I haven't done the uh, the study or the research to find out, but I, it just feels like in the past three years, four years, maybe that this has been a, a growing trend with closers at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, if a manager chooses to, to go with a guy, you know, after the spring, uh, but the guy isn't a proven closer and then the manager just likes his style right there, then 
you know, then he gets the opportunity, and then the quick hook comes. There just seemed to be a lot less uh, bona fide closers, guys with really just hard job security, uh, and, and are able to just kind of get the, you know, get everything done. Um, I just feel like we've got a lot more uh, part-time closers, I guess, that are stepping into the role is, is probably the best way. So, yeah, I think that, you know, in the beginning of the year, the manager will show confidence to the guy, and whether he's really capable or he's not capable of doing it. I'm sorry, my, my call waiting just beeped and <laughs> just threw my train of thought there for a second. You're, you're editing and stuff, right? I so. can I can edit that, yeah. Or I can leave I it can. in. I, either way, it's going to be entertaining for me. <laughs> However you want to do it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was just saying, do I see a progression where it starts off very, very tenuous in the beginning of the season and then kind of stabilizes as we go on? Yes, definitely. You're always going to have a handful of teams that because they haven't gone with a, a bona fide one-man closer or perhaps if an injury you know, pops up, you'll ha- always have a, a, a small handful of teams in the second half of the season still swapping guys out. But for the most part, I think that, yeah, but once you hit that mid-season part by the All-Star break, uh, managers really just kind of want to stick with that guy as their closer. Right, and then I guess I guess as you get to that middle part of the season, uh, up to the trade deadline, you could see uh, some more turnover on uh, am- among major league clubs because of trades that are occurring. Like there, you know, there are probably some closers who are, who are going to get traded at this deadline. Like uh, I would guess Houston Street probably. There's been some noise about Brandon League. Not that he's necessarily. Uh, closing every game for the Mariners right now. I think Wilhelmson's taken over that, uh, the majority of those, but he's another sort of guy at the back end of a bullpen. So I guess that's, if you have, um, I, this is actually sort of interesting, and I know that Eno's done a lot of good work sort of looking at um, the the variables that contribute to managerial decisions um, for who will be closing and not. Um, this is sort of another one of those cases, the sort of systematic um, look at it, at it. Um, where you where you have the a season the seasonal effects or the the ups and downs during the season, you have that beginning of the year time, and I guess we'll, we'll probably see some turnover at, at the uh, at the trade deadline as well. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you, you had named a couple of guys, uh, Matt Caps before he was injured. He was talking about there's talk about moving him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're definitely seasonal wise. There's there's Different parts, you know, where, where you'll see more activity than than others. Now, in terms of in terms of uh, specific names, I, I was seeing today that Kyle Farnsworth, uh, big right-hander Kyle Farnsworth for the Tampa Bay Rays, is coming back, I believe, but not uh, not to the closers role, uh, which was it seemed like the uh, the role that he was going to be given uh, before the season began and before he got injured. Right. So. You're asking about Kyle Yeah, I'm stating that, and then I'm because the, I assume that my all my facts are are wrong or at least poor, and so now I'm <laughs> now I'm sending it to you for verification. Oh, so so you want to know if Kyle Farnsworth is going to come back and take over the closers role? I'm saying that I uh, heard Kyle Farnsworth's name uttered, or, or I saw it in the electronic pages of some place, and I now I now I'm going to you because you're a fantasy baseball expert. To say, why did I see that? Uh, well, because the, you really you can't. I mean, Joe Madden is uh, is, is kind of kooky with his bullpens as is, and, and he's always been a guy that 
that has, uh, you know, has been fine going with the hot hand or playing the matchups and stuff like that. Um, what I think Madden saw last year uh, from Farnsworth how, is, is just how secure you can be as a manager in order to, you know, to just know that you're calling on this guy in the ninth inning. And because I also don't think that Madden is the type of guy that wants to upset the apple cart too much, Fernando Rodney has been having a strong season for himself. He's been pitching really well, uh, and he's done a fantastic job. So do you want to bring Farnsworth in who, you know, he's only had one good year as the closer, uh, you know, last year. He's always, they've tried him. They tried him in Detroit. They tried him in Kansas City. And he just, you know, it, it wasn't something that clicked for him. It clicked last year, definitely, but, I mean, why would you want to kind of upset what bullpen work you've got going right now? I think that, uh, I think that Rodney's completely fine in that job, and I think that's what, you know, the Rays are just assuming also. There's nothing wrong with putting Farnsworth back into a, a seventh or eighth inning role at all. Oh, yeah, Farnsworth, yeah, and now I'm looking at, I've, uh, I've secretly, uh, looked up, uh, Kyle Farnsworth's page at Fangraphs, and I noticed that, um, not only was he was he not bad at all last year. It looks like he had a, an 80 xFIP minus, which is you know uh, xFIP 20 percent better than league average. Um, he's actually sort of put up numbers similar to that. I, uh, maybe maybe he is he a sort of guy who has some high profile blown saves and therefore uh, has maybe had a reputation uh, of not being a, a steady piece at the end of a, of a bullpen. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I mean, it would be, you know, if, if I can equate it to a situation, maybe something like uh, what's going on right now with, uh, or and what went on with David Robertson from the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, perfectly competent, you know, great middle reliever, has, you know, dominant, you know, numbers for the eighth inning, um, has, you know, worked his way through the system. But, yeah, you put him in a more high-profile situation like a closer, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, if, if you talk to Joe Everyman out there, that's not the, the hugest baseball fan. Uh, I'm sure he'll know a closer's name, recognition-wise, uh, a lot faster than just some random middle reliever. So, um, when Farnsworth was given the opportunity, each time he was given the opportunity, he, you know, yeah, he failed. Is basically what it came down to. You, you know. Whether the the manager just didn't give him enough time and and just gave him a quick hook, but I mean that's that's what's known. And when you know when fantasy people hear that, you know that a guy just keeps getting the quick hook, you kind of expect that. Right, right. Um, I think it's I think it's ironic that it's Fernando Rodney that's blocking Kyle Farnsworth right now because Rodney went through all of that with uh with the Angels. Right. Yeah. And I guess it just uh, it it only serves to sort of reinforce the idea that. Even if you're dealing with, uh, like I said, it doesn't really matter the skill of the pitcher. If you're dealing with just a couple innings here or there, uh, it's going to be prone to all manner of, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of variance in what could happen. So like you mentioned, David Robertson. David Robertson, all intents and purposes, has been one of the best relief pitchers over the last couple of years. But if Right, we... and but you look, at, you look at his ninth inning numbers since, uh, since Mariano went down. Right. And you know, if as, as a fantasy person, you you wouldn't touch that at all. Or I mean, you at least you at least wouldn't invest heavily in it. Right, and and whether that's because you don't trust David Robinson in the ninth inning, or you know, perhaps more reasonably, you know that Joe Girardi might not trust David Robinson in the ninth inning going forward. You got to base your decision on that. Really, you're responding to the coach's decision making more than you are necessarily the the skill of the player. 
without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, we, we've, established, we've established something without a doubt, <laughs> which is good. Which is good. That actually rarely happens. So uh, we've made we've made some inroads, Howard. Hey, <laughs> wait. I have a wait. Okay. Wait. We mentioned the Padres. If Houston Street does get traded, and I don't necessarily, we don't necessarily need to speculate on to what team he he would be traded. Uh, I guess you could if you want to, but I'm more interested in who would take his place because the, uh, Luke Gregerson is the person's there. They've moved Andrew Kashner um, to the rotation, and we can talk about him momentarily. Um, but they also have guys like. Bradley Boxberger and Brad Brock, who not only have um, uh, alliterative initials, but uh, <laughs> but also have posted crazy numbers, and I assume uh, in the minors, and I assume would 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 post uh, pretty decent numbers if given a chance, especially in that stadium. Do you have a, Do you have any sense of of who might be next in line in San Diego? Uh, oh, or well, Dale I Thayer, I guess. Dale Thayer is a person. Yeah, they would probably revert back to Thayer. I mean, he. Uh, you know, he got off to a rocky start, but he settled in nicely in, as, as the closer for a little while over there. So I think they'll probably go with Thayer. I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I used to be really high on Brad Brock. I really thought that Brock was the guy. He had an amazing, you know, amazing strikeout numbers. He had really good live arm, great action, great movement on his fastball. Um, so I was, I was definitely sold on him, but when they picked up Box, the trade, and if I'm not mistaken. I think they picked him up from Cincinnati in that whole. Yeah, Boxberger, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. He came over. Yeah, in the that, Yonder uh, Alonso trade. Right. Boxberger was another guy who they were talking about in the in the uh, minors as a potential closer. So when he came over to the Padres, uh, that sort of became the talk around. Uh, you know, I guess San Diego insiders, where they were basically saying that Boxberger was going to be the eventual. Uh, successor at closer because their their plan was to put Cashner into the rotation the entire you know the whole way. Okay, and I want to ask you about um, one other guy. Uh, I recently put him up for auction uh, this week because um, in, in Auto New he qualifies as both a starter and a reliever. And if you can get uh, relief innings out of your starter roles in Auto New uh, Auto New points leagues in particular, I mean um, that's a, that's of some benefit. Uh, uh, Brian Villarreal, who is a, is a person who seems to be dominating out of some sort of, uh, you know, setup role in Detroit, I believe. Uh, I, I think I've heard the name Villarreal before, but it actually might have even been a different pitcher. Do you even know who I'm talking about? Is this is this clear? Um, I, I, the funny thing, I think uh, Oscar Villarreal is a guy that that a lot of people have talked about. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be the. Confusion, but yeah, I know I know who you're talking about when you ask when you talk about Brian uh, Villarreal. Yeah, um, but his numbers are crazy. He, yeah. Oh, his numbers are fantastic, and you know, I mean, Triple A, uh, you know, his his strikeout rate was was phenomenal, and he's actually maintained a lot of that, um, you know, since he came up. Um, do I, you know, do I think that he's uh, he's potentially a closer? I think that, you know. It's possible. I mean, what they've got right now in, in Detroit, I mean, you've got uh, Valverde dealing with a wrist issue and Joaquin Benoit, if I'm saying his name correctly. Yeah, you're doing it. Say, you're doing it. I don't want to say Joachim Benoit. Don't say Joachim Benoit. <laughs> don't. That's going to make everyone feel bad. You, Joaquin Benoit, you did it. <laughs> yeah, you did it. So, you know, so, so Benoit does have, you know, a little bit of, 
uh, of experience filling in as a closer. So I think that he's a he's definitely a great option. Um, I think based on uh, um, age, I think and experience. You know, I mean, Jim Leland up there. Um, it's it's a similar situation. Uh, what they were talking about in, in Chicago, but let me just stick with Detroit here. Um, I think that they like having him where they have him. He, he can get up at a moment's notice, and he can get his arm ready. He can get in there seventh, eighth, you know, inning, nice and situational, um, like that. And I think they like using a, a youngster, you know, in in that role, as opposed to just saying, "Here you go, here's the ninth inning, go out there." Throw it as hard as you can for you know, and get me three outs right now. Right, right. So, um, so do I think that Villa? I think down the road maybe Villarreal has the potential of stepping into that role, but I don't think he's somebody that you know you would really rush into that job right now. Yeah. Okay. And what was the situation to, uh, to which you were referring in Chicago? In Chicago, everybody was you know clamoring for Addison Reed to take over the job. Uh, and to be given the job, um, but word out of Chicago coming from, uh, you know, it was an interview with Kenny Williams, and then it was backed up in an interview with, uh, oh, I can't even remember who now, Ventura? somebody else in the, in, oh. in the front office. Oh, okay. Um, where basically, yeah, I mean, everybody expected Addison Reed to get the job, uh, but they didn't want it because of his age, they didn't want him to just be handed the closer's role. They wanted him to earn the closer's role, you know, in the middle relief spot. And if there came a time when, you know, they were all out of options and they wanted to go with Addison Reed, well, then he would get his opportunity. But Mm -hmm. just based on what he had done in the minors and what people's perceptions of what the Sox should do, uh, they weren't going to let that, you know, dictate their decision-making. Right, so So they gave it to the vastly more experienced Hector Santiago. (laughs) <laughs> right. yeah. I didn't say they did it right. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did something. Now, listen, um, I mentioned uh, Andrew Kashner briefly. Andrew, uh, so we're recording this on a Friday. Yesterday, last night, uh, Andrew Kashner, I think, uh, had his first start um, since being sent down and then recalled um, to and from the minors, um, where he was uh, being stretched out as a as a uh, starter. Uh, on that uh-huh. same the same night, same Thursday night, Trevor Bauer made his major league debut. Um, our man, our managing editor, Dave Cameron, wrote a piece, uh, sort of looking at the two in, in what he called a, an object as an object lesson in hype, because Kashner, um, you know, despite the fact that there's not there's decidedly less buzz surrounding him, uh, you know, he has a he has a four seam fastball that sits at like 97. Um, and he has some other tools that could help him, you know, become a, an above-average starter. Trevor Bauer uh, certainly has the pedigree at this point, seeing as he was taken only a year ago, third overall in the draft. And beyond that is interesting, you know, because of some of his idiosync- uh, idiosyncrasies. And um, even though Bauer was probably the more celebrated uh, start li- last night, um, the Kashner start, well, uh, it was probably, in some ways, according to Cameron, it was probably just as deserving of attention, and ultimately it turned out to be more successful for Kashner. Um, I'm curious as to what your reads are on those two guys as a fantasy owner. I could care less because they're both going to have Tommy John surgery next year. 
That's a that's a hot sports take, no, 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 Bender. No. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that just seems to be the way the 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 road's going for any young pitcher right now. When I grow up and become a rich and famous, powerful GM, any pitcher that I sign or draft will immediately have Tommy John surgery just to tighten up those ligaments right off. Just the bat. Pro- prophylactic Tommy John surgery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's your technique. That's good. Maybe just do it to your to any children you have too. I don't know how many children you have, legitimate or otherwise, Howard, but maybe just right outside, right out of the womb, just Tommy John out of the womb. I, I like to adopt. I actually I go to the playgrounds and yeah. I and I scout the best players and I offer up adoption. You you do you and do you do like um, is it is it kind of like a, a like a back alley Tommy John surgery that you perform then? <laughs> oh no no they'll get the legitimate Tommy John oh, okay. surgery without right. a doubt no. I, we want to we want to make sure that those ligaments are nice and tight yeah. right from the start. No need to tease fantasy owners for a year or two yeah. that this guy's going to be phenomenal and then you know lose out. Hello, Brandon Beachy, Corey Lupke, all of these guys. Yeah. But you actually you asked my thoughts on on Cashner and Bauer. I definitely think that that Cashner's start deserved just as much attention. Um, I think obviously that you know Bauer being the young kid. Uh, Fresh out of the draft last year, accelerated through the system as quickly as he accelerated. I think you know, yes, of course, that's going to be the uh, the big story. I mean, at least everybody's been talking about it, you know, incessantly. All the talk about Cashner all year was, you know, is he a starter? Is he a closer? Is he a starter? Is he a closer? So, um, I think you know, getting the the next big phenom up in the minors for his first ever start would probably be, you know, the bigger headline. Um, as a fantasy owner, listen, I love them both. I, I own Bauer in, in three leagues, actually. Um, I own Cashner in two. Um, I do think that, uh, in, in all honesty, I think Cashner projects better in the long term. I think that he's uh, he's got great stuff. I mean, you got to love a, a big 6'6", 200-pound kid sitting on the mound like that. Um, and throwing hard. So, I mean, he throws, he throws hard, and he, and he throws... He, I think he's throwing harder now um, in his in his couple of uh, starting appearances than he threw as a reliever two years ago. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, he's 25 right now, I believe. Um, so, I mean, he's had some time to mature. He's having some time to fill it out. He's learning, you know, different things. I think. Um, I don't necessarily agree with flipping him back and forth to the bullpen or starting. So, I'm really hoping that they just continue with him as a starter for good. But, uh, I, you know, as a fantasy owner, I like him on a long-term, you know, prospect. I really do. I think that uh, I think both will find success. I think that uh, probably Kashner's might come a little earlier than Bowers. Bauer, I watched his start last night. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, walks are a problem. He, get, he definitely comes off as emotional. Uh, a bit of a kook, according to the announcers. Um, he's got some, some really weird, like, hour-and-a-half-long... Ritual before uh, he go, he takes the mound for even his warm up tosses. Yeah, right. Yeah, he definitely um, he he seems to have a sort of uh, I, I guess like the best possible autism, you know, where he is like a <laughs> like a definite ritual, but it also now it, it makes him an uber pitcher somehow. Or like um, who's the uh, was it? Uh, there was some defensive back uh, for the Eagles who used to churn in. He like used to churn himself into an animal. Like he would, um, I don't know if it was Brian Dawkins or not. Um, 
something something along those lines. He would go. He would turn himself into a wolverine. And in fact, I'm just going to Google this now. Eagles, maybe safety, wolverine. Uh, it's a. It, it was a. This is not making for compelling, right? Yeah, Brian Dawkins. Yeah, yeah. He would turn himself. He had like a, a whole, an entire ritual before a game. He would turn himself into wolverine and become an animal. He would speak in tongues. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you know, really, whatever gets these guys going, I mean, that's that's the thing. And, you know, I mean, listen, as a fan of the game, you know, yes, those stories are, are definitely entertaining and stuff like that. As a fantasy owner, those are the guys that you want. Yeah. Like, you want that guy that takes everything so, you know, like, I mean, he is so focused and he is so intent on it. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, having guys that are, are kind of out there, are, are really the ones that you want to own, or the, the ones that are perceived to be out there. Okay. Listen, I want to um, ask you. I want to ask you about two more prospects uh, before we get into some guys who are uh, maybe coming back from injury at some point, or or, or have just done. Um, another pitcher um, s- uh, with a similar profile um, in terms of, um, I, I guess you know, among uh, in terms of prospect ratings is uh, Martin Perez, left-handed, uh, very young, 21, uh, left-handed. Pitcher for uh, the Texas Rangers. He was uh, recalled this week as well, and I'm curious if you look at his, uh, if you look at his minor league numbers for this year in particular, they're not great. I think he's got like six strikeouts per nine versus five walks per nine or something at Triple uh, A, uh, not Oklahoma City anymore. Maybe Round Rock, where the Texas Rangers Triple uh, A affiliate is. Uh, but at the same time, he's graded out as having like three plus pitches. Um, I mean, is just now not the time for Martin Perez? Are you excited about him as a prospect? Um, are you speaking as a baseball fan or as a fantasy guy? Well, you can do both. I mean, we need to we need to nail down the fantasy part at some point, but you can answer both if you want. Um, as a, you know, I mean, listen, I love seeing guys that 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 have a, a big arsenal of pitches. I mean, I really do. That's one of the things that they said about Bauer yesterday that they liked so much is that he he has. You know, somewhere they, they said eight or nine pitches that he can go to. You know, obviously, you know, different, you know, similar base pitches, but, you know, whatever. So I like seeing that. So, I mean, for, for Perez to have a four-pitch arsenal and, and can, you know, can go to that, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried as far as, like, you know, how he's going to do with uh, with a low strikeout rate. He's not a big strikeout guy. Um, you know, he's a good ground ball pitcher. Uh, so as far as fantasy goes, you know, guys with low strikeout rates aren't the most appealing to have. I mean, unless, of course, their ERA and their whip are, you know, minuscule. Right. But you do, yeah, right. If it's a, that's a situation, I guess, where, because strikeouts are a category, and of course strikeouts, I mean, you know, if you sort by strikeout percentage on, you know, on the leaderboards, that is, that's going to be a pretty rough list of, you know the the best pitchers in the majors. You know, beginning to to the end. Um, however, the you know the, there are obviously some exceptions, um, and there are guys who who can get along in the majors uh, by having um, high high uh, high ground ball rates because you know they're keeping the ball in the park. Um, but yeah, as as far as fantasy goes, because strikeouts are a discrete category, I guess if you're not getting that, then you really need help in the other categories. Yeah, I mean, it just you, you need to show me, you know, fantastic ratios and you know, and anything else. Uh, right. Or like Chin, or like Chin Men Wong, when when he was 
sort of at the top of his game pitching for the Yankees. Like he didn't necessarily get a lot of strikeouts, right? But um, he suppressed home runs and he was getting a lot of wins because of the club for which he was playing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know similar to along the lines of uh, you know Derek Lowe didn't have a great strikeout rate, but he was fantastic for fantasy owners for a long time. Right. Right. Um, you know, Mark Burley is another one that's just you know. You end up playing for a club that gets you the wins, and you keep your ratios low. Then you can, you know, then you can get by with a, you know, a four or five, you know, K per nine. But, um, you know, when you're talking about a, a kid, a rookie coming up, uh, he's probably not going to be, you know, a high-profile guy. You might be able to, you know, sneak him through. But I mean, how much value is he really going to have, you know, unless he's super dominant? Right. And then uh, finally, Anthony Rizzo. So far as prospects go, Anthony Rizzo, uh, first base back, uh, prospect for the Cubs, was hitting uh, quite well, yeah. quite well at AAA Iowa. Um, got the call up this week. Has been starting at first base, um, which is where Brian Lahare, who's really been the best offensive player for the Cubs to date, uh, was playing. I guess. Um, I mean, is this situation? I assume that the Cubs didn't call Rizzo up not to play him. So I'm going to guess he's going to play first base. And I also find it hard to believe that the Cubs would be able to sit Lahare for very long. No. Well, you know, I was I was all over Lahare the, at the start of the season, uh, knowing that Rizzo was going to, you know, was going to come up. The beautiful thing about, you know, with the Cubs is that they've, you know, they, they've, they've made it very clear that from the start, Rizzo was going to come up and he was going to play. The only time he was going to come up was when he was going to play regularly. And then they turned around and they also said that if Lahare is performing the way he's supposed to be performing or the way they expect him to perform, then they will move him into uh, into the outfield, which they've done. They've moved him to uh, to right field for right now. Um, that was always the, uh, the the talk in the uh, in the beginning of the season was that you know the Cubs were definitely were actively shopping Soriano. They were looking to move a couple of guys and uh, and see what they were going to do as far as because they were expecting to bring up Rizzo. And move Lahare out there. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not a, the hugest fan of Rizzo. I, I like him. I think he's got a good stroke. I think he's gonna, you know, I think he's definitely gonna find success in the majors. Do I think that he's gonna be one of those first basemen that you absolutely covet? That you know, 30, 35, hopefully 40 home runs. Uh, no, probably not. I mean. It's it's hard to use last year's call up with San Diego as a, as any kind of a barometer, but I mean, he really stunk it up there. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, it didn't go so well for him. I mean, that was that was like uh, it was it was unbelievable how poorly he performed. That you know, I'm not surprised that he was brought up as early as he was brought up this year. I thought maybe it was going to be a after the All Star break kind of a thing, but. Um, you know, I think he'll do decently. I think that he'll, you know, he'll hit for a decent average. I think that he'll, you know, he'll pop you 20, 25 home runs. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe more on the lines of, uh, of say, like an Adam LaRoche type, you know, where it's a decent average, not a terrible. Well, LaRoche had a poor average a couple of years. But, you know, I'm thinking somewhere on the lines that if, if Rizzo hits you, you 280, 275, and pops you 20 to 25 home runs, that's that's probably what you should be expecting from him uh obviously not this year but you know for the next few years to come but yeah but it, of course first base um or utility slot requires quite a bit of offense so 
that sounds like what you're su- suggesting is like for a 12-team league, mixed league, that might he might be fringy as a, as a starting first baseman. No, I don't think he'd be fringy. I mean, I, I mean, it depends. If you if you can use a corner infield spot, any utility spot, then I think he's rostered immediately. Oh, okay. Um, right. You know, I I think that you know if you if you choose to go cheaper on first base because first base is so deep and you don't get your 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 Pujols, your Cabrera, your Joey Votto, or something like that. Um, and and you wait a couple of rounds for that, then I think that, you know, then, then Rizzo's definitely a, a great guy to have because you've built up all over the place on your team, you know, your outfield, your second base, wherever you you ended up using those high draft picks. Um, and then you're still going to have a, a 20 to 25 home run, 280 hitter sitting in your, you know, in your first base slot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I didn't say there was anything wrong with it, Howard. Why do you always blame me like that? Oh, Carson, you know I'm not blaming you. I'm just, I'm very <laughs> passionate about it. No, I know you are. Very, very passionate. Listen, I got a question. Uh, sure. Stephen Drew um, has been, I think, probably an above average shortstop. Um, you know, generally speaking, since, uh, you know, since he was, uh, started his major league career, really, um, he just uh, was um, reinstated from the DL. And I'm curious as to what's going to happen with him. He was out for like a year, I guess, with uh, after breaking an ankle, which always sounds terrible to me. There doesn't seem to be any – there's no one who's like, oh, yeah, I broke my ankle and it wasn't that bad. It always seems terrible. I'm kind of hoping that Andy Pettit says that. Is that what he bro- – I think he broke his fibula. Is that is that the same? Oh, was it the fibula? Yeah. I don't know. I heard that it was the ankle. Oh, well, maybe, you know. this is We're not a I'm news scared. organization. We're just – I'm, I'm, I'm scared to, to, to look at the exact diagnosis. Either way, I know it's six to eight weeks of no Andy Pettit. Right. Um, so Stephen Drew, I, basically what they said, though, was that he was going to come back in, but he wasn't going to play full-time. They were going to kind of mix him in with uh, with Willie Bloomquist still getting you know a, a good amount of work over at shortstop. Um, I think that uh, eventually... It'll it'll just be turned over to Stephen Drew. I think that uh, I think Kirk Gibson is definitely one of those types of managers that really you know I mean as a former player you know and and fairly recently I would have to say I don't know I mean is twenty years considered recent anymore? Well, no, not really. Not, I mean most of our listeners are probably around twenty, so they're not going to think so. Well, when I was your age, <laughs> Pepsi was a nickel. Um, <laughs> But I think that uh, I think that Kirk Gibson's one of those guys that really cares about the mental makeup of his players, and I think that with the the type of injury, the lengthy uh, rehab, and and how long it's taken Drew to come back from this injury, I think that uh, I think that Gibson's sort of doing one of those. Uh, I'm going to give you the incentive to go out there and and you know kick some ass, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw you out there right now and just make you do it. Right, right. Um, right. I'm gonna ease you into it and I'll let you outplay Willie for a couple of you know for a couple of weeks and then I'm just gonna turn over the job to you in the second half. So, okay. um, if you can buy on Stephen Drew, I mean, well, I mean, I'm sure he's been a waiver claim for for most people, but I mean, if you can buy low on him, I think that he's gonna you know come back in the second half with some decent power for the middle infield. You know what you mentioned there. Uh you know, with maybe uh, uh, trading starts with Willie Bloomquist. I noticed, generally speaking, um, although I'm not sure if I've ever talked about it out loud with anyone, that 
National League players in general, especially if you're in a mixed league, if you have games, if you have a games played cap, right, like 162 games slot at shortstop or whatever, in the National League, sometimes that if you have a National League player, that can sometimes get you in trouble because you find it, it seems to me in m- many more instances where a guy might sit, right, a guy might sit and then he'll come in and they'll pinch hit in the eighth inning. So you get one at bat, but it still counts against you as a full game. Yeah, the game played, yeah. Game cap. And especially if, especially when you have guys who are platoonable, uh, like Jason Kubel, for example, I feel like. I, I, I don't know. I don't have exact numbers before me. But there are guys like that, especially in the outfield, especially left-handed hitters, um, who are going to start the majority of the games. You get the benefit of those. But especially if you're in a weekly league, and you're going to get, you know, maybe you get five starts and then one pinch hitting appearance, which even if over the course of all of his plate appearances you have a pretty productive batter, you're still losing out on uh, games here and there where you're getting a full game marked against you. Uh, it seems to, I don't know if you ever worry about that. You ever, is it ever sort of played to your, do you have an adjustment for a National League hitter who could be susceptible to that? Um, not really. I mean, basically, I mean, I try not to worry too much about the, the, the whole games played thing until it, it comes down late. I'm, I'm, I'm never a guy though that really does a whole lot of, you know, moving. Like, I don't, I don't usually, I don't play in a lot of daily leagues only for the, the fact that, you know, I'm just more of one of those, leave my lineup, let my guys play for the week and, and we'll go from there as opposed to in daily leagues flipping guys in and out and making a, a ton of waiver claims on a Monday or a Thursday to get as many, you know, at-bats and stuff like that in there. Um, so I don't I don't usually tend to worry so much about that uh, unless I, I start getting really close towards the end of my season and I feel like I might start losing, uh, you know, losing opportunity. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, that is, uh, I mean, that's that sort of brings up just like... Uh, uh, the limitations, or the constraints on a, like a, a normal human man, like you know, I mean, you know, Howard Bender likes fantasy baseball, writes about fantasy baseball, but he also has like a job and a family situation too. So you only have like X number of minutes, and I guess like if it does not, if it's, uh, if it does not make your fantasy experience more pleasurable, in fact, makes it less pleasurable to have to be updating or you know constantly turning over your roster every day. That's a consideration. That's a real consideration. Without a doubt, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I'm in seven leagues right now. Yeah. And and it's it's work, you know. I mean, as far as you know, really being able to spend as much time on each league as as is what's needed to be spent. Um, you know, yeah, definitely adding on added responsibilities or. Things like I, I have this one league where the the waiver pickups have to be in on Saturday, and and it's the one you know it's it's just it's a day that's not right for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I and I've just I've missed it a couple of times because all my other leagues you know when I have to make waiver pickups the deadline's Sunday night. Okay, right. fine, Sunday night. So I do that's part of my ritual, my fantasy ritual on Sunday mornings before my wife gets up, before the dogs get up. You know, I'm sitting there on the laptop at. You know, 6.30 in the morning, and I'm like, okay, let me make my waiver claims and set everything up, and then that way I don't have to worry about it for the rest of the night. Right, but then you um, have, but then you had that Saturday league, you gotta do, and you gotta do some research before that. Right, I, yeah, I understand how that works. 
That's... So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I don't like worrying too much about things that are just going to make it more of a headache. I mean, I, I play in leagues that have those those game caps, absolutely. I just, again, I, I just choose not to worry about them until, you know, until the final, I'd say maybe month and a half to two months of the season. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I prefer always, if possible, uh, weekly lineup leagues to, to daily ones if I can if I can get into them because... And that way everyone has the same constraint, too, right? You don't have to deal right, with exactly. it. And you don't get uh, – because in the daily leagues, people can get rewarded for effort. And I, do, I don't think re- effort should ever be rewarded. I think it should be punished. <laughs> you get these people just, just via hard work uh, are succeeding. Who, who wants that? Who wants people succeeding because of hard work? It's disgusting. Do you see what I'm saying, Howard? Isn't isn't that the the American way, though? We're supposed to do as little work for as much gratification as possible? I don't know. There's so many different American ways. I get lost. I get lost. Anyway, (laughs) listen, Howard, I'm uh, uh, going to invite you um, to stick around um, after we're done recording here. We have a little conversation. But uh, um, for now, though, I think you've uh, fulfilled your duty to God, country, and um, David Appleman. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a good time. But it was a it was a pleasure to have you on. This is your maiden voyage on the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thanks very much for having me, Carson. I, uh, you know, I was almost slightly hurt that I hadn't heard from you until now. Yeah, you know, uh, we got a lot of egos to work with. We have a lot of prima donnas. At, uh, I thought I thought maybe it was because I cracked on your old school Brewers cap when I saw you at the meet and greet in San Francisco. Oh no no I'm impervious to all manner of insult. It's probably um, it's probably because I, w- I would worry that you would um, uh, how many and how many different in- people you would insult and how the, the sort of filth and bile that would come out of your mouth, Howard. <laughs> but you kept yourself in check this time. I'm really proud of you. I'm wearing a shock collar, actually, so anytime I think a negative thought like that, I've been getting a little zap. I told you it was call waiting earlier yeah, on the phone. Yeah. No, I was thinking some really evil Just thoughts dirty, at that point. <laughs> the dirtiest possible things. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, thank you for joining us, though. And like I say, stick around for a minute. That is uh, that is Howard Bender of Rotographs and, uh, and the World. He's a man of the world. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. The fantasy, sorry, well, Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. That's an important distinction. Whoa, whoa.